Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. We are really excited to have a local superhero here in Baltimore that is one of my national favorites, and I am so encouraged and inspired to actually make him a national speaker because what he's doing here in Baltimore, D.C. area needs to be heard throughout the world. So Umar Hamid is an expert in changing individual behavior and improving team dynamics. He uses techniques and tools from the world of applied neuroscience and NLP to make individuals and organizations more successful. He works with leaders, salespeople, and teams that want to become exceptional. And what I love about Umar is in the 10 years I've known him, he is committed to making sure that individuals have the highest performance and he shares his good bag of tricks on NLP tricks and also just how to actually be more effective in every single bit of your communication. I have recently witnessed him building a speaking conference for salespeople, sales experts, so that salespeople can come to the event, learn techniques that will increase their sales ability and actually just balance their life out better. So Umar, welcome to Amplified. Hey, Ken, thanks so much. It's uh, great to uh, sit down with you and uh, chat with your tribe. So we reconnected at uh, EIS, uh, the oh, IES, Institute of Excellence for Sales, and you were uh, really making it out there, long drive out there, and you said, golly gee, I think I can do this in Baltimore. Is that kind of how it went? Yeah, anything but the commute. I'm really convinced that you know the people they had at Gitmo, if they just made them compute, commute to D.C., they would have told them where bin Laden was years ago. <laughs> so you've done a couple of these. And by the way, your podcasts are amazing. Uh, why don't you just tell the listeners how they can hear and learn more about you? So if you go to iTunes, uh, actually, we're ranking it at about number 25 of all the business podcasts. It's called No Limit Selling. And we're looking at people that are sales leaders and just leaders in general sharing their uh, heart thought uh, advice from the trenches. It's like, hey, this is the fancy stuff, but let me tell you how to really get better results. And that's what we're looking for. Now, I, I counted it was less than 10 podcasts in that particular brand. Is that correct? That's right. Just started and we're rising pretty quickly. I, I can tell. And and by the way, I, I paid the compliment the other day that there are plenty of podcasts to listen to. When I listen to yours, I listen to the entire thing. You have great guests. You have a great conversation you're having with the people and you're learning. It's lots and lots of gold nuggets. And I think that's the, uh, the key to doing anything like that is if you can be interested in the person you're interviewing, it makes it interesting for everyone else. If you're trying to be smart, then nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> well, it, it was because of your podcast I wanted you on the show because I, I knew that you had a wealth of knowledge because of when you speak at conferences. But when I heard the podcast, I saw what you were attracting. And um, as you know, if your podcast is actually getting great reach, that's one aspect. But if you're giving really entertaining and valuable content, people want to be on your show because they're having fun too. Absolutely. And that's why I'm here too. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, start off uh, by figuring out when we met about 10 years ago. Do you recall what that was? It was probably some kind of Alcoholics event. Anonymous, something like that. <laughs> I don't remember. So it's important, folks, to get out when you're having problems and you get your addictions to find help. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think both you and I uh, really like meeting new people. Right. And it's all about how can I help you do better? 
And if you help enough people, uh, you just feel pretty good and you get better at it. <laughs> the Zig Ziglar, right? Yeah. So let's talk about um, your story. Are you from Baltimore originally? So I was born in Pakistan. When right I down was, the street. Right down the street. Uh, then uh, my dad wanted a better life, so we moved to the UK. So I became a subject of Her Majesty the Queen, so a British subject, mm -hmm. from 3 to 14. And then we went to Canada to get an even better life. And I'm a Canadian citizen. And then I married a gal from Baltimore and ended up here in the center of the universe, Baltimore, Maryland. Yes, which is almost D.C. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you meet her? So she worked for an old employer of mine. And she came to help them out. And since I was still doing business with them, we kind of met. And boy meets girl and the rest is history. All right. So what in your childhood or sometime thereafter caused you to be who you are? What, what inspired you to do what you're doing now? So uh, my mom, so in the Pakistani culture, men have all the power. And so my dad decided he wanted to uh, get a different life without my mom. So he sent her back to Pakistan and had me come live with him. And she was so despondent that uh, she committed suicide. Mm. And the reason I do what I do is how can I help people break through their barriers so they can live productive lives? So really, I think the phrase is wounded warrior. When you have a wound from the childhood, you want to make sure nobody else gets that same uh, experience. So you help the world be a better place. So that is kind of aligned with a purpose-driven life. Yeah. My purpose has always been, uh, how can I help people get to the next level? And at what point did you start doing that? So uh, full-time doing it 100% on purpose in 2003. But when I look back at my life, and when you look back at your life, whoever's listening to this, is that you've always had a purpose. Most people don't know what it is, and the clue to what it is is looking at all the things you did in the past. Even if you had the worst job in the world and there was this one part of the job that you loved, that's a clue, that's your purpose. And you look for similarities throughout everything you did, and you go, wait a minute, that's the theme. And once you figure out what that theme is, just do that, and then you're living 100% on purpose, and that way you can have a horrible day, and you come home and you tell your significant other, oh my God, it was such an exciting day. <laughs> Turned bad, but that's okay. It still fed my soul. Well, we were talking earlier about how many people are living their potential. Yes. And let's bring that up, like both things. How many people are living their potential percentage-wise, and how many people are living a purpose-driven life, and what can they do to live that? So if I was just spitballing, uh, I would say that uh, maybe 2% would be living a purpose-filled life that's where they're reaching their potential. There are other people reaching their potential in a particular vocation or a particular cause that may not be in alignment with their purpose. So they could be getting spectacular results and getting some happiness out of it. And I think maybe that number might be 20%. And the rest there's got to be 30, 40% that are like doing stuff that they do not like. And when you ask them, what do you want to do? They go, I don't know. That's why they can't make a shift. And they don't know because they haven't uncovered their purpose. And if they uncovered their purpose, then they'd go, oh my God, I could be doing this. Or I can't do it now, but I know what training I need to be able to do that. But unless you ask that question, by the way, we'll put a link on the show notes 
there's a, a blog post where I teach people how to find their purpose, how to uncover it. It's not that complicated. Just like everything in life, it looks really complicated from the outside. But once you unwrap it and you go, wait a minute, it was never that hard. Like I always look back to uh, Einstein. I'm sure he had 33 blackboards full of math that would give you a nosebleed. But after you know 20 years of struggling, he came down to, oh, this all comes down to E equals MC squared. Right. And so that's, I guess, what you and I do is, is help people get to that elegant, simple, executable thing that they can do rather than trying to figure it out themselves. And my next natural question, not to say that you shouldn't go to this blog post because you should repeat and you should go deep with this particular question because this is very important. This is your life. Right. But what is a way of finding your purpose? So there's two things you need to know. So one is... Who are the people that you admire in this life that are people that you know, people that you know of, uh, people that uh, are from history? When you look at those people, so let's say you've got uh, three kids in a family and you ask them who's someone you admire and they go dad. Then you go to person, kid number one, what do you admire about your dad? And they say his, his hard work, his work ethic is something I really admire. And you go to kid number two, what do you admire? Uh, the way he's fun-loving. And to kid number three, they pick something else. So the, the adult, the father had those attributes, but only one of them spoke to each kid. And what that really means is my dad has this ability to do hard work, and I have that within me. That's the only reason I find it attractive. Mm. And so that's the clues. You look at people that you admire, and you could even pick someone that you think is, that person is a complete idiot and a horrible person, but their ability to organize is pretty amazing. The reason you find that amazing is because you have that ability yourself. They may have it the size of a building and you have it the size of a molecule. But the first thing you do is look for people that you admire and what the attributes are. And when you look at that list, oftentimes similar attributes will keep on coming up. So that gives you a sense of the attributes you have within you. Then you look at things that you love to do. And then when you combine those two things, things that you love to do and attributes, that's how you uncover purpose. And that addresses the second question that once you find your purpose, you're probably going to be very happy producing, i.e. selling and creating a life out of it. Yeah. And your purpose could be my like my personal purpose is to be a joyful educator and help people get to the next level. And so when I was a salesperson in Silicon Valley, a large part of that job was educating people. So it might have been 30% of the job. And that was the juice that kept me in that job. Mm. And some of the other stuff I tolerated. Right. Uh, but now I get to teach people every single day. And I live more like 90, 100% of my time is living on purpose. So, yeah, that's the juice that keeps you going. Uh, you've had seven podcasts, all really amazing you want to do some shout outs to some of the people that and what you learned on those podcasts? And she, I want to teach that the person giving the podcast is getting a heck of a lesson, too. Absolutely. I'm going to give you uh, a, a few examples. So uh, Chris Mechanic from Web Mechanics yeah. is a design firm in digital marketing firm in Columbia, Maryland. One of the things that Chris said was, you know, whatever you're selling, add a zero to it because people all too often undervalue what they do. And the very next coaching gig I got it was a much higher level than I normally would have charged, and the person was happy to do that. Hmm. So a executable information, not only for the people listening, but the host that's asking the questions. Uh, Sean Callahan. My favorite. So you've heard that podcast. What was yeah. the favorite thing out of that podcast? 
Uh, was that he had a deal that he just had to shift the value of it, not necessarily by discounting. So they wanted a discount. And so he just put the price where it really was and gave them that discount they wanted, but he didn't change the price. Right. So <laughs> give them what they want. They feel good. As long as I got a discount, I'm happy. Yes. I don't and, care about the price. <laughs> and the second thing was that he uh, he's a very giving person. He saw a problem that he could effortlessly give the solution to. He made a video for them to teach their, their folks uh, something that was causing a lot of problems in the consistency of their uh, training. And what was it, months later, he got a million-dollar deal, or yep. a year later, he got a million-dollar deal because they, they remembered he was really there for them. Absolutely. And uh, Harel Terkel, he runs SOS Technology, and it was all about just keep on going. Do not give up. It's the tenacity that wins at the end of the day. We were talking uh, in an, another conversation about people that have slumps. Yes. And what, what causes a slump and how do you get out of a slump? So human beings are meaning-making machines. Everything that happens to us, we make a meaning around it. So if the barista gives us coffee, it's not that big a deal. There wasn't a lot of emotions there, so we don't make uh, any meaning out of it. But anything that happens to us that has a lot of emotions, and it could be happy emotions, where you meet someone and they just, uh, it was such a great meeting, the emotions were really high, you make meaning out of that. And it could be that one of your kids looks at you and says, Dad, I hate you. And they really mean it. <laughs> That's an emotional event. So we make meaning out of that. And so I think sometimes those meanings turn into beliefs. So we have a set of beliefs that define who we are. And people have anywhere from 50,000 to 100,000 beliefs that define who they are. Most of the beliefs are really awesome, support us. But some of those beliefs do not. A good example is money. In our society, and I'm talking about the world, we have a ton of beliefs around money. Most of them are negative. Right. And so sometimes people cave in on price because their beliefs around money are, you know, money is the root of all evil, only greedy people X, Y, Z, and the customer says, you are charging too much, and we're predisposed to say, I'll give you a discount. Right. Because we feel more comfortable doing that. And so our beliefs dictate when we go into a slump, and how long we stay there. People that have positive beliefs, they can get into a slump, like they lose a deal, it's like upsetting, and they might take them uh, an hour a day, maybe a week if it was a really horrible kind of thing that happened. They brush themselves off and they move forward. And other people that have a different belief set, even a minor infraction can cause them to go into a slump. And three months later, they're still deepening into that slump, proving that this belief that I'm worthless is true. It was around the 90s that I went through Tony Robbins' uh, Wealth Mastery, et cetera. Yes. And I don't remember which mastery it was, but he said two guys are in a foxhole. They both get their leg blown off. Mm -hmm. And one, it, his outlook on life is it's over. And the other outlook is that I'm so lucky I didn't lose my life. And one is a champion and makes all these things happen in his life. And the other one becomes really a dismal, pathetic, you know, depressed person. So let me ask you a question. Who is happier, someone that becomes a quadriplegic or someone that wins the lotto, like a big number, like millions? Who's happier? It's a trick question. Okay, well, I, I think I'm going to fall for the trick, but I'm going to guess the lotto person. Absolutely. The lotto person wins the lottery and their happiness goes through the roof. I mean, it goes through the stratosphere. But what's really interesting is a year after they won that lotto, the level of happiness goes back to exactly where it was when they began. Mm-hmm. They may have a lot more pluses, but they also got relatives coming out of the woodwork and people <laughs> taking advantage. But the, the level of happiness goes back to where it was. Mm -hmm. A quadriplegic, when this happens, is devastating. 
they can go into the deepest depression. But surprisingly, a year later, they get back to the same level of happiness they had. Hmm. So if the person that was quadriplegic before they did that, they were a happy person, they're back at that happy level. And a person that was a lot of winner that was depressed and life isn't worth living may have a better set of better house and a better car, but they're back at that same place. I just recently interviewed Barry Shore, and uh, when you get a chance, listen to that, that radio show, but he became a quadriplegic some five years after he started the Keep Smiling card. Yes. And he actually got his legs back, the whole thing, because he, he, had, he was a rare uh, exception to the syndrome that he had coming back, less, way less than 1%, 1 in 1,000 people come back. And he attributes it to prayer, therapy, and love. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot about attitude. And I, I was uh, talking to a friend who gave me a counterexample. Said her brother got cancer, and he's the most miserable, depressed person on the planet. And through the entire period of healing, he was miserable, depressed, and just Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> and he came out of it fine. So He came out of it okay. Yeah, he's like, he's still depressed and still is a mean SOB, <laughs> but he's cancer-free. <laughs> well, I, I love what you said earlier, and you can't emphasize this enough about we are meaning machines. Absolutely. Because a lot of us don't travel enough, and we get in kind of this perspective of this is how life is everywhere. And so that meaning is really ingrained. And the second you go somewhere else, Umar, as you know, yeah. life is a little different. And life is exactly the same. Okay, and, yes. And here's why I think that, is that if I was emperor for a day in the U.S., Mr. Trump steps aside for a moment and said, Umar, you can be emperor. What's the one thing you want to do? I would say I would force every single American citizen that you have to go overseas, be it Europe, South America, wherever, go traveling for a couple of months. When you come back to the US, you'll learn two things that are incredibly important. Number one, almost everybody you meet out there is wonderful and amazing, and all they want is to get a safe place to live, a better future for their kids, and to live in peace. Mm -hmm. And when they come back to the US, the first thing they would do is fall upon their knees and kiss the ground and know that we have such a blessing that we live here that we take for granted. Because I could live anywhere, but I choose to live here. And the reason I do that is you may not like politics, but the one thing that everybody in the world agrees on is they may not like America, but Americans, they love them. It's like we're optimistic, we're generous, we're friendly, mm -hmm. and Americans transcend anything. Right. I <laughs> I agree with you. That's and that was well said. I actually almost have nothing to say back to that except that that traveling. If you travel, when I travel with a key yeah. smiling card, twenty-eight languages, I hand the key smiling card in that person's language, or even say hello in that person's language. Isn't that a huge instant connection? Yeah. And and they want connection, and when we get that connection, we say, ah, it was the government who was spinning that these are not nice people here. <laughs> but so just one one caveat to that, by the way. The number one sport in Paris is tormenting Americans. The only way to transcend that is if you do this one thing when you go there and you say, bonjour. As right. soon as you try and speak in the language, one or two words, they speak English and they'll help you beyond belief. Yes, they will. And they'll even help you say bonjour better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I do love it when you do try your French a little too optimistically and they look at you dumbfounded and like there's no way. And especially if you do it badly, they'll say, oh, stop hurting my ears. I'll speak in English. <laughs> well, I wanted to go ahead and talk about you as an author and mm -hmm. a speaker. So that really changed your career when you decided you would download your brain. So what was your first book and how did it change your life? So the first book was called Ideocution. It's like how to generate awesome ideas, the so tools to do that. And then once you've got the idea, how to get your team to take a bullet for it. Hmm. And one, it was a goal to write. I've been trying to write for about six years. Six years earlier, I tried to write my first book and an editor got a hold of it. And for my benefit, they color coded the ideas on the first couple of pages. See these yellow things here? They should be together. <laughs> and it was such a horrible experience that I did not write for another year. Wow. Because it was like uh, damaged the soul. But then it was like, okay, I'm writing it. Then I'll get an editor to edit. I know what the process is like. So I was speaking at a conference the following year, and I went this year to take a look at what it was like. And the president said, you know, hey, uh, you should meet our association members. And, you know, went to one of the guys, hey, here's Umar's book, and he's going to be speaking, or, speaking to us next year. The guy says, oh, it's about leadership. Can you come work with my company? Had never read the book. I don't think he's read it since he owned it, but just having a book gave me such a different status in the community that I started getting gigs. Mm -hmm. Would you say the editor um, that was helping you initially was competent or helpful given the experience you had? I think mechanically they were really competent, but it's not about mechanics, whatever your profession is. Right. It's all about that human connection and how can I communicate? Because I think leadership being a leader is all about how can I get the people that are following me to set aside their fears and go on the journey that's worthy of them. And the first editor, it was more about let me show you what you're doing wrong, thinking I'm doing you a really big favor. Right. The second editor was uh, I'm going to help you communicate your ideas in a better fashion. Right. It's your ideas. It's your passion. But let me help you communicate in a different way. And because they set the stage, the expectations differently, and the level of caring was different, uh, the whole experience was different. I totally agree. And my first experience, as we talked about, was very similar. So I gagged when we started talking about the, the first book that, come, that came out. Oh, yeah. Because I, I lost my voice. And there's something called your voice you're supposed to keep in a book. Yes. You're not supposed to throw that out. It's the most important thing. I know. So I had to rewrite the book backwards to get it back my voice. Yeah. So it was a grueling experience. So, um, so, so let's just stop there for a minute. Sure. So people have three faces. They have the face that they show the outside world. Mm -hmm. For some people this look at me, I'm really smart or I'm pretty. And other people show the outside world, look at me, I'm damaged or tragic. So that's the illusion we show the outside world. Right. Then we have the delusion, which I think is much worse, which is who we think we are. Like, I think I'm funnier than I actually am. My wife tells me this all the time. So we have this, like sometimes we tell the outside world, I'm pretty, I'm intelligent, but you know a lot of really famous people in their biographies. It's like inside they thought they were worthless mm -hmm. and damaged. Right. And some people uh, 
think they're better than they are internally, but the, what they show the outside world is less than. But there's a third face, which I think is the most important face of all. It's who we are inside. And I think that's our journey on this planet Earth is to uncover who we actually are. Because when you uncover who you actually are, it gives you a voice that's more powerful. And when you put in a book, this is what uh, an author should say, it's not what who you really are. And when you put this illusion out there in the book, uh, some people will be attracted to it at a certain level. But when you put the authentic you in the book right. or in your speeches or in your work, there's some people are going to go, you're crazy. I don't want anything to do with you. But the people that love what you say uh, will be true fans because you're the authentic self. And by the way, the headache of trying to manage what I'm trying to show the outside world, who I think I am, who I am, actually am. Once you combine them all to be the authentic you, all that stress goes away and you get to be just someone that can be present in the moment and bring your best work and caring to the world. So there's a quote, I think it's Mark Twain's, the two biggest days of your life, the day you were born and the second day is when you find out why. Yeah. And most people go through life not knowing the why. Right. Because they don't ask it. Or there's not a lot of teachers out there. I mean, like uh, people are like, you know, you should know your purpose. And it's almost like uh, magically you should know that. Or you should go to a cave and meditate for like a year or two. Mm -hmm. But if we just taught it in, you know, as soon as you hit 25 or 29, you should go in for a one-day course to figure out your purpose. And that way you've got enough life experience to be able to uncover it. And then also enough life experience to go – yeah, if I'm going to spend the next 70 years, might as well build something that feeds the soul as opposed to something that I'm just doing. Well, you have an event coming up in February that I I was really uh, enjoying the description of it and how you're really going to unleash, let people unleash their power. And, you know, whether it's that event in February, just would you talk about the events sure. you do? So uh, the event coming up is uh, there's a branch of psychology called Neuro Linguistic Programming. And uh, it's all about the owner's manual. How do you take charge of your mind? Because everyone refers to it. It's a computer, you know. And it's like, well, sure, if we're going to use that metaphor, but no one ever gave us the programming manual how to use it. Mm -hmm. We know the on-off switch, how to fall asleep and how not to. And I guess snooze would be taking drugs or alcohol. But imagine if you had the ability to decide how you felt in any situation. So if you're going in for an important uh, appointment, that you could actually uh, authentically be in a state of being unstoppable, humble, and lovable. If you had that chemistry going on in your brain, it would be a different meeting. If you come across one of these beliefs that's blocking you, you have the ability to change that belief, identify, wait a minute, the reason I'm only reaching you know, this level of success is because I've got a belief around self-worth that's getting in the way. And then if, if you knew how to change that belief, then you could go to the next plateau. So it's a four-day workshop teaching people how to take charge of their mind so they can become fearless, bold. They can become – You said fearless peace, and bold? Uh, bold and bold. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so these four days, basically people come in and I say, could I have a volunteer? Who's someone that you know uh, feels like you're stuck in life and you want to get unstuck? And someone puts up their hand. They come up on stage. I take them through a process to get them unstuck. And people in the audience can see something happened because physically they change. And then I teach people this is what I did. Then I break people up into groups of three. 
and every single person gets to get their breakthrough. Somebody gets to take them through the process and they get to see it. And after that session, then I go, is there someone else who would like to access peak states of performance? And somebody else puts up their hand. So basically four days of getting breakthroughs. So the person that comes into that training on February the 8th is a different person when they leave on February the 11th because they've gotten 20 breakthroughs and they've figured out how to do it themselves. And on top of that, they are meeting like-minded, powerful people that can become friends, partners, accountability partners. Absolutely. And they're ingraining themselves in a new mindset of being powerful. They get a team of people that are striving for success, that want nothing but the best things for them. And they're people that they end up going, you know, if in the dark of night, when I'm trying to figure out an idea, I can call somebody and they're going to go, this is how you can make it better. Or Umar, that's a dumb idea. Don't do that. Which would be a gift as well. Right. It sure is. You know, I, I, I deem a person like you as a power of one because you're causing community. You're causing a, a, a transformation. And you're causing these breakthroughs that once they happen, people don't want to go back. And for people that may not know what the breakthrough terminology is, you have a certain velocity and acceleration that you're going through in life, and all of a sudden you have this breakthrough. It just doesn't even make sense, the new plateau or the new level you get Absolutely. to. And it's, it's very abrupt, and all of a sudden you go, I don't know why I was doing that before, what I was doing, because it makes no sense now. Life is just uh, going from plateau to plateau, and sometimes just life does that. But the between plateaus could be five years, 10 years, 20 years. Mm -hmm. When you learn things like applied neuroscience and neurolinguistic programming, it's just you come across one of those blocks and you go, oh, why don't I just change it this afternoon and go up, get the plateau today? Yes. And, and in your workshop, it's not something where you can just say this and it clicks. You're going deep into the programming and you're actually rewiring things. Yeah, Which, it's very important that people understand that there's this is an experience and, and after this experience, you're actually anchoring it so they have access to it again. Right. So you're learning how to do that and you're going deep and you're learning. Uh, by the time you leave this training, you've got uh, human being 101, how to program this thing. And then the subsequent learning is you using these tools to go deeper. And if you feel so inclined, helping other people in your family, in your company, in your community, when someone says, you know, I'm kind of struggling, it's like, well, let me get you unstuck. Right. And we end up being that uh, one light that illuminates many more. And this experience, uh, people can go and look at, you know, to sign up for and enroll for it. But it is almost a priceless experience when you are unstopped or unstoppable. Absolutely. Because you've got, uh, if you're going to live this life, you might as well live it in an optimal state. And uh, uh, on YouTube, I think over the years, I've got probably 400 videos mm. that people can access to figure out uh, all kinds of things, how to use these tools. And that's also been one of the ways to give back is to just create uh, learnings that are out there just for anybody that needs it. Well, I'm such an advocate of this technology and transformation from a standpoint that I've, I've been through these experiences, whether it's be Tony Robbins or Landmark Education, et cetera. And you leave there and you say, you come back, you, like my first month of uh, sales after Landmark, I did 10,000 more that month and I didn't work harder. Right. I just was more effective. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And it's and, and so the ripple effect is the people that you love get the rewards of it because when you're being powerful, you're also being powerful for them. Brilliant. Yeah.
And if people go, well, if Ken can do it, so can I. Yeah, you you actually bring your team up as yeah. well because they say, what's the secret sauce? And you say, well, let's work on this. Um, you have three books, so we've gone over one of the books. And one of your books uh, I you were kind enough to give to me was Unleash Your Crazy Sexy Brain. And what a killer title. <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually the, the name of your most recent conference. It was. And... Uh, so I put that as the tagline for the company, and people like that tagline on the business card so much is like when the book's coming out, I <laughs> definitely have to use that. Because, uh, uh, Ken, do you know where the sexual organ is? And it's actually your brain, because hmm. it interprets everything. Right. Uh, I came across this data point that in certain African tribes, uh, the women wear uh, leather covers over their elbows because their boobs are exposed and men are like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> but if they ever saw an elbow, they'd be like, oh, my God, did you see the elbows <laughs> on that chick? So it just goes to show that uh, our brain controls everything that we do. And if we could unleash it, that it it's there to support us and our beliefs dictate what it can see. So if we get a belief that You'd be shocked how many people are out there that are attractive, that have uh, high-quality lies, that truly in their heart of hearts believe that they're worthless. And if that's happening inside your mind, this success that you've gotten is an illusion that you're showing people, but you're not happy inside. But we can go in and we can change that belief. So here's the trick that nobody uh, really talks about is let's say you have someone who has a, so I'll tell you a client story. Uh, a woman brought in her 14-year-old uh, daughter and she was cutting herself. And the mother's freaking out because she's getting a razor blade and cutting herself. And so as I'm talking to the daughter, what I uncover is that something happened in her earlier life. We're not sure what happened, but something happened that caused her to put a shell around her heart mm -hmm. to protect herself, safety. Because she had a shell around her heart, she couldn't feel her mother's love anymore. Intellectually, she knew her mother loved her, but she could not feel it. And so when she started cutting herself, it's a very you know uh, painful thing. The emotional pain of her mom not loving her was so much that the only way to overcome it was to use a razor blade, and the physical pain would mask the emotional pain. But the added benefit was when her mother caught her cutting or the aftermath of it, her mother would freak out with concern and because she freaked out her emotions got really really large and that went through the barrier that the daughter had and she knew her mom loved her so it's like oh so the reason you're cutting yourself is you want to feel your mom's love let me show you an NLP tool that will remove that block and so we remove that block and then she's feeling her mom's love just every day so there's no need to cut anymore hmm. so it wasn't some magical thing we did to stop her cutting we just figured out what was the positive intention of that negative behavior? And the negative, the positive intention was, I want to feel my mom's love. So all the behaviors that you do, that I do, that are negative, that are harmful to us or others, being a jerk, whatever that is, uh, we're looking for that positive intention. I think that's what we need to find. When I am underachieving at work, uh, what's the positive intention? And sometimes it's like being a failure at work is less painful than going for something amazing and failing because then I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Hmm. So we need to figure out what the positive intention is and that's the clue how to change it. So I have so many 
questions I want to ask you, but I guess I'll, I'll ask one that's more introspective. Yes. What's a time in your life that you had to overcome something really tough and you were able to use this to break through and be unstoppable? So this was one, wasn't a really big thing, but it was a powerful epiphany. I ran a computer consulting company and I got a gig with Hewlett Packard. They said, we just need you for a week. Can you come in and, and do this one thing for us? And I had my other clients that I was looking after, no big deal. Then after a week, they said, could you stay for two weeks? Could you stay for a month? Could you stay for two months? And I was doing a full-time job at HP, but I had my other clients. And I went to the doctor and he said, you've got gastritis, that you're gonna get an ulcer unless you stop the stress. And so I took one day off work and all I did was eat my favorite foods all day and watch movies all day long. And sometime during that day, an epiphany occurred to me. Well, the only person putting stress on me is me. Why don't you cut it out? And gastritis stopped. I've not been sick since. And it was just that epiphany that I was causing this to myself. And I think no matter where you are, what's happening, uh, the bad stuff always looks larger than it is. It's, it's as if you've got a, a light and you've got this object between the light and the wall and the shadow looks immense. Right. And if you look at the shadow, it's an unsolvable problem. But if you look at the object that's blocking it, normally it's small. And I think that's what we need to realize, that we think we don't have the capacity to change because we're looking at the shadow. And what we need to do is look at the light. And that's more meaning. Yeah. And uh, you had said earlier about traveling the world. And I just want to say that you, you spoke about when you travel the world, you're really choosing to accept people. And it changes that all people are love. They are. Yeah, but when we're in discrimination mode, meaning if you run into someone or yeah. you're having your own issues, it's because you haven't connected with love. Yeah, absolutely. And we can teach other people uh, amazing things too. So on my, uh, uh, on my side of the family, one of my cousins, they're Muslim, so he had two wives. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, by the way. And so his Egyptian family, when we, my wife and I went to Egypt, they collected us at the airport. They'd never met us. But they were generous and amazing and were going to actually put us up to let us see the sights. And the guy looks at my wife, notices that she's an American, and he goes, is your wife Jewish? I said, no. He goes, oh, I thought all American women were Jews. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so not only do we get to learn stuff, that we get to teach stuff too about who we are. But the one thing you come away at the end is that uh, we love our families, we want the best for us. And we want peace in this world. Right. And, and the reason I want to revisit that, because it cannot be said enough for how we actually talk to people yes. and, and encounter people that are new, is all of a sudden your sales, your happiness, every experience in life goes up when you have that type of thought mentality that we're all actually trying to achieve those three things. Absolutely. And one of the things, uh, I'm going to tell you something that uh, is PG, I promise. But one of the things that really turns me on is when you get someone who's, let's say, a chemist. And that's their entire life. And they uh, go into a company and become the CEO. And what they do is say, uh, to build a better culture, you know, when you have chlorine molecules and you put this in it, it changes it this way. Why don't we do that for human beings when people take something from one discipline and bring it into a new discipline and change the world? Right. Sometimes we take something from one culture and we bring it into our culture and it changes everything. So that cross-pollination with cultures as well as uh, disciplines 
that's where the planet gets stronger is not by staying uh, in our own little bubble. It's when we commingle is when we get new ideas that make everybody better. You know, you were talking earlier about uh, a person could be absolutely beautiful, stunning, and they don't feel their self-worth. And so they they have bad thoughts about themselves. Mm -hmm. I encounter this as a social media or a photographer because when I go to take their picture, they say, no, that's okay. I don't really want to be photographed. And they're stunning, beautiful. And on top of that, when you see their light come out, when it does come out, they're smiling, they're happy. But for the most part, they're not smiling because they're not happy. Right. So how does one take on shifting that? From my standpoint, I say, will you trust me and take a picture? I take it and I show their friends and they're like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. And that doesn't really shift it, but what does shift it? So the question is, okay, uh, what causes the unhappiness? And they don't know the answer to that typically. So what I do is, you know, tell me about a particular time where you wanted to be happy and you weren't. And when they go to that time, you can get them to uh, go back to that moment. And what were you feeling in your body when you were winning the award and you had to fake a smile because it wouldn't come naturally. Right. And they go to that moment and they go, I was feeling a really uncomfortable feeling right here in my solar plexus. The body never lies. The mind does. So we use that body sensation, and there's a tool from neurolinguistics that you can connect that feeling to their unconscious mind that will uncover the pivotal moment. And I'll give you one example of a pivotal moment for somebody that uh, I was working with recently. Uh, they were asked to speak at their church. So they got the microphone, and they were nine years old, and they went up, and they weren't sure if the mic was on or not. So this young nine-year-old tapped the top of the microphone and the entire church went boom and then she laughed because she was nervous then the audience laughed and it was just this laughter thing <clears throat> then she got to say what she was saying and then she came back to her the pew where her family was sitting and her dad was so mortified he looked angry that he, she had embarrassed him at that moment her whole life changed mm -hmm. that the meaning that she made out of that event was that i'm worthless even though what she did was perfectly happy Right. Just that one look from her dad, and that had been following her for 30 years. Incredible. And another kid would have seen the same thing, would have gone, yeah, well, who cares? <laughs> Just move on. Or another so parent. We, or another parent. Right. And it would have been uh, – <clears throat> so we make these meanings, and some of the meanings we make uh, damage us. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you we have the technology now to go in and change the meaning again. And instead of something that's been stealing energy from us for a lifetime, it gives us that energy back, and it changes the trajectory of our life. So uh, that was actually right on point to what I saw you actually do at the last conference. So how can people uh, sign up and roll for working with you? So probably the easiest way to find me is to uh, go to my website, <clears throat> no limits. That's with an S, selling.com. And if you just put my name in the search engine, uh, it will uh, come up, uh, mostly in a good way. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're getting pretty close to maybe 10 minutes. We have something called rapid fire, Umar. And what that is basically is all those questions I want to ask you, and we yes. don't have another hour to talk, is I ask you them rather quickly, and you answer them rather quickly. Done. How about that? So who's the person you want to meet, and really quickly, why? person I want to meet would be, I guess, uh, Elon Musk, because he's changing the world. Heck yeah, that's a very good answer. Um, give me uh, several books one to three, that you highly recommend for people. And Peter McWilliams wrote a book called Let's Get Off Our Butts, 
and do it. And because it changed my life, it gives you the toolkit you need to be a better human being. I'm reading a book right now. It's uh, Negotiate as if your life depended on it. It's wow. brilliant. I already saved a ton of dough in negotiating with people. It's like life changing. Who's the author? Uh, Chris Voss, V O S S. And I see in your library over here you have Beyond Entrepreneurship. Yes. I'm guessing that's a favorite. It is a favorite, but I like Good to Great Better. And the reason I like it is it shows you the difference between good CEOs and great CEOs. And what Jim Collins missed was it was all about the beliefs that they hold. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what's a place you want to visit in the world? I want to visit Australia. Australia. Have you been to a lot of countries? I've been to a bunch of countries. Okay. Uh, what's Who's your most impactful mentor? Most impactful mentor probably was Peter McWilliams. I never met him, but through his writings, it was like, uh, it was huge. And what's a quote or two you live by? I like Churchill's, when you get to hell, keep going. Uh, I think that's the main one that comes to mind right now. Why is that and, so important? Because I think way too often we give up just on the other side of success. And I think that's why knowing what your purpose is so important. If you know your purpose, you know your direction. And if you get a roadblock there, just keep going. It's going to work out okay. When you don't know your purpose, you're not sure if you're going in the right direction, then you're more apt to give up. Yeah, uh, there's a guy, Greg S. Reed, who wrote a book, Three Feet from Gold, yep. and it's that exact premise. Um, what are you most proud of in life? What I'm most proud of is uh, when somebody calls me and says I changed their life, no matter what it was. That's the juice that keeps me going. Well, those are some important questions I want to ask. Now I want to ask something for the new year. So okay. 2018 coming around the corner. We say we want to drop some habits. And I'm sure you work with people that say, I want to quit smoking, I want to quit drinking, I want to lose weight, whatever. What, what, this can be a little longer answer. Right. And so you're asking me what I want to give up? Not really what you want to give up, but you can answer that too. But how do people actually take on that using working with you? So a good example is, uh, let's say, I had this woman come in. Her brother was working with me, sent her in because she was drinking uh, a bottle of wine a day. So she's been doing it for the last 10 years. She's going to kill herself. And so when she came in, so when we connect with a, another human being, when you're looking to get into rapport with them and you get into rapport in a deep way, you pick up a lot of information that they're transmitting at an unconscious level. So when somebody comes in, oftentimes I sync up with them to the point that I'm breathing at the same rate they are. They don't realize I'm doing it, but I am. Mm -hmm. And breath is such a fundamental human condition because if you stop breathing for two minutes, you're dead. Uh, so for her, I'm breathing with her. She doesn't realize. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me. So talk to me about happiness. And she gets this jaw-dropping moment. She goes, that's the underlying cause of my drinking. So we didn't work on the drinking. We worked on why isn't she happy. And when we solved that issue, she went down to one glass of wine a day from one bottle. She didn't quit, but the moderation came in because the only reason she was masking her feelings was that she was deeply unhappy, didn't realize why. Okay, and for people that are having uh, troubled relationships, do you help them? I do. Uh, to figure out uh, 
when the other person does the thing that they find so offensive, what's the reaction they get? And what in their childhood was the event that it's resonating with? And so when we can figure that out, we can heal that childhood event and the thing that, that the partner was doing wrong, they can still do it, but just doesn't have the impact on them. So everything's consistently about programming and meaning, which I love that you stayed true to that because that's how you actually help people. Absolutely. And I think the last part is knowing who you are. So knowing what your deepest values are and your mate knowing what their values are, figuring out where they fit and where they don't fit, you get that understanding. Because we did an interview earlier on and you were talking about getting partners. And sometimes you have a partner that has a shortcoming in this area. As long as you know it, you can live with it. Never complain about it, just accept it. Mm -hmm. So what's next for you in 2018? 2018 is, uh, my goal is to meet three C three CEOs a week because that's been one of the shortcomings for me is I've not been getting enough first meetings with people that could uh, use stronger organizations. So I'm guessing you have a plan for that. I do have a plan. <laughs> do tell. So the podcast it's, uh, it's climbing up the YouTube charts mm -hmm. and I think doing more interviews with more CEOs sets up relationships and I think that's a great way to extend the reach, not only because I want business, because I do, but how can I impact them? And and here's one of the things when you ask someone a question, sometimes you want to know the answer. And sometimes when I ask a question of someone else, I'm asking a question in a very specific way because I want them to get the epiphany. Mm -hmm. Well, I would like to remind people how they can follow you and also how they can enroll for your upcoming event and the name of the event. So the name of the event is uh, a four-day rapid NLP certification. Best way to get a hold of me is use that uh, telephone number 410-949-7067. Uh, and uh, the website, nolimitselling.com. And Ken, thanks so much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it equally, and I think we're going to be revisiting these conversations as we go, and I can't wait to be at your workshop. It's uh, four days of life transformation, so we will make sure the connection, the link is there so you can actually get in touch with Umar and experience not only what he's offering you, but you can also get his books and learn all the valuable lessons he's teaching. Thank you very much, Umar. You have been amplified, and God bless you. <laughs> Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.